welcome to Sex, Love, and Liberation with yours truly, Michelle Casey. This episode was actually the first one that I recorded for this podcast. It was November last year, and I had just gotten home from my first Vipassana, which is where I actually decided to finally birth this podcast. The day after I got back, I reached out to my wise and wonderful friend, Sanya Manocha, and asked her if she would join me on the air. I'm really excited for you to meet her in a moment. She's a holistic coach and counselor, a mystic, an artist, and an absolute bad bitch. I hope you enjoy our vulnerable and enlightening conversation about our individual experiences in 10 days of silent meditation. So for those of you who don't know what Vipassana is, Sanya, I wonder if you would like to share a little about what it is. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. It's a treat to be here and feeling very honored to be sitting with Michelle right here, right now in our uh, childhood suburb that I'm still living in and she's not. (laughs) Um, so we are coming together today to have a chat about our experiences from Vipassana, which for those of you who don't know what this is, this is Vipassana is a meditation technique that was developed by Gautama Buddha. It was passed down over the years and it landed with Goenka, who is basically the guy who has opened up all the centers around the world. And in Vipassana, you attend a 10-day sort of silent meditation for lack of a better word retreat but I wouldn't call it a retreat really Mm. it's it's more just 10 days of you learning a particular meditation technique so that you can go from intellectual wisdom that you learn through books and podcasts and other means to more to having a deeper understanding with gaining experiential wisdom, which Goenka calls punya. And to do this, we need to connect with ourselves. And that's what the space allows you to do because you're not talking to anyone for 10 days. All of your, uh, all of your belongings are stored securely away from you. So no phones, no journals, nothing. And for those 10 days, there is no other input other than the meditation technique and the discourse that happens in the evenings. So it gives your subconscious mind a chance to reveal itself to you. And this is why it's such a powerful meditation technique because it is showing you what is already there. And it's showing you um, the seeds of wisdom that lie within your soul. Mm, Beautifully said. That's my interpretation so far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, gorgeously said. So... I am exactly one week since I returned from my first Vipassana and Sonia and I are yet to talk about my experiences and so we made the decision um, inspired by what landed for me in the experience to just bring this conversation um, to share with you all. So... The intentions of this episode are to really be generous in sharing about our learnings, Um, but we're less interested in sharing about what actually happens in Vipassana um, or about the technique itself. Um, And a big part of that reason is because going in without expectations is something that we both think is very very valuable I know for me personally I had zero expectations (laughs) whatsoever so for me the seed was planted about 10 years ago where one of my friends Larry mentioned that there was this thing 50 minutes north um northwest of Auckland where people did 10 days of silent meditation and that sparked some kind of interest in me And it was only last year when my darling Sanya was in India 
Um, this year, actually. This year? Oh, this of course, year. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, this year. <laughs> I knew that. I thought yeah. we were in 2023 <laughs> <I know>. already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Sonia completing her Vipassana really inspired me and gave me the nudge and the courage to say yes for myself. And so that's why, you know, part of the reason why it feels so beautiful to be recording this episode together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I remember when I was in Vipassana itself, Michelle came to mind because there was a few people uh, that came to my mind while I was in there that I knew that I just had to let them know that this is something that's going to be very important for their growth that they would gain a lot from and I think you and I've always had this friendship where we share with one another things that have really been effective for us and being on similar paths in our life and similar career paths as well it's it's something that we we have a lot of trust and respect for one another so whenever one she says something to me I I don't take it lightly I know it's come from experience and it's come from Mm. integrity so I think it was the same thing where I even remember where I was when I sent you that voice message Mm. I was in a cab and I went Michelle I just need to tell you you have to do this like ASAP (laughs) (laughs) and we hadn't spoken in a few months and I was just like I just have to tell you this this is really important Mm -hmm. and I think you were like yeah I actually have heard of this before this is something I do want to do Mm-hmm. And I went, great. And you said, I think I might do it this year. And I was like, yeah, okay. Because many people say that. A mm-hmm. lot of people, a lot of people I spoke to like, yeah, yeah, I need to do it, but I need to find the time. Because 10 days, being quiet, those are the first barriers that come up, you know, mm-hmm. not speaking to anybody, not having your phone. Oh, especially a lot of people who also struggle with any kind of dependencies that also comes up. Like, how am I going to not smoke? How am I not going to have coffee? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Mm. You find out. Yeah, you know? And it's one of the things that actually helps with addictions as well. So it sort of helps with mind addictions and, um, yeah, any any substance addictions. So, yeah, I, I came across Vipassana because a friend of mine, a lot of my close friends have completed it, but a friend of mine earlier this year mentioned it to me. And I was in a place of my life where I was very open to new things, very much in a place of surrender to life. And I got suggested two monumental things that really made a big difference to my growth. And one of them was Vipassana. So I, like you, knew nothing. I knew nothing about it, actually. Mm. I just knew it was 10 days. But I had a I had a, a deeper trust in that this is going to be good for my soul. Mm-hmm. And the feeling I got when I was in Vipassana, I'm curious if you got the same, is people who have done Vipassana... I didn't feel like it was the first time my soul has done this. Like, mm-hmm. I know this practice and that's why I've drawn it back into my life. It doesn't feel, and, and I and I just gather, I just got that feeling collectively that people who gravitate towards Vipassana already know it to some level. They're, they're aware of it to some level, but they haven't done it in this lifetime. Mm. And there is there is a pull towards it for a reason so i'm curious if that is something Mm. that you felt interesting i'm not sure i felt that in that way Uh so the the technique of vipassana is all of the same ingredients mixed in a different way to all of the practices that I have been using yeah, for many yeah. years. That are westernized. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Well said. <laughs> and um I I would say coming into Vipassana, I, I really had not thought I had not thought about it when I was there. Mm. I wasn't even Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe let's start shifting into like our individual learnings because mm. that's what's naturally starting to brew yeah, for yeah. me. So Coming into this experience, I had spent the last three years actively working on shifting out of codependency. Mm. This has been a big theme in my life. So for me, codependency started to really form in my relationship with my mother first off and then seeing my mom very codependent in relationship with my father but then seeing 
my dad very much in avoidance and seeing like mm. her, her pain, I very much formed a codependent relationship with my first serious partner who I was with for eight years, my high school sweetheart. Mm. And so I had been so aware of these patterns playing out in my relationship with Chris. So for the last two, three years, we were like, okay, it's about creating reciprocity, mutuality. It's about giving from a different place, not a place of self-sacrifice, not a place of, you know, trying to get my needs met, trying to be loved through overgiving. Mm -hmm. So that was very much what I learned was like, here's a strong strategy that I developed in life the way I am loved, the way I have worth, the way I have value as, as someone is by overgiving and self-sacrificing. Mm. Um, so that had been a big part of my my journey, pre-Vipassana. And then Chris and I, eight and a half years into our relationship, we're at the point that so many couples find themselves at where all of your wounding, all of your trauma rises up to the surface and is asking to be healed and this is commonly a place where couples choose to end relationships Mm. and that's not to say that's right or wrong it just it just is and commonly people that come into my practice are couples who have been together for like the six Mm. to seven eight year Mm. mark and so you know, during the pandemic, we had a lot of this, you know, isolation equals amplification. We were like, wow, mm. we're really having to to mm. see some stuff here. And so I ha- was very aware going into Vipassana that I was carrying a lot of resentment, a lot of anger in my relationship. That was like what I could see at the mm. time. Mm. <laughs> And Chris and I, as you know, many of those of you who are listening will know that we came dangerously close to breaking up a number of times over the pandemic because we just couldn't see a way mm. through. And we've started, you know, we found a way through. Um, but when you make that decision to stay together and, you know, close a chapter and open the next one, it's not like there's no work to do, right? Mm. And so for me, I could see my work was I've first got to get through this resentment and this anger I have around feeling, the feeling was you being used, but that's not mm. what was happening, right? Yes. For me, I was very much an overgiver and Chris was like, a, I was a human giver. He was a human being, as mm. Emily Nagoski calls it, mm. right? He wasn't taking, he was being. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then the, the feeling under that was like, I feel used. I feel like people just always want to take from me, yes. right? Yes. And so coming into Vipassana, my first few days was me starting to untie the knots of resentment of anger Mm. and about halfway through I I had this night in my room where I was you know really in I was upset you know I was feeling a lot of emotion that had risen to the surface and I was like feeling so confused (laughs) I was like why like you know (laughs) I'll just say it right even though it's gonna sound um maybe kind of wild but like what I was sitting in in that moment was like why does this man not want to love me the way Mm. that I want to be loved like I'm this I'm this I'm Michelle Casey I'm Lala and I started being you know the things that were coming up all of these um you know external validations that I had collected very much over the course of this year, being back on stage, being um, a burlesque performer in Club Burlesque, right? External validation was Mm. very abundant Mm. outside of me. And I started to just sit with this, like, wow, I'm so confused. Like, what else do I have to do to be loved in the way Mm. that I want to? Like, you know, I've ticked this box, I've ticked this box, I've done this. Like, when is it going to happen? And so for a bit of, like other context I had 
kind of before Vipassana like found myself in a few entanglements with like Mm. these love interests where that same confusion was coming up in relationship with them like why am I not getting loved or feeling chosen or special in the way that I I really want to and you know I'd be like I've done all of this conscious relating work like I've (laughs) sat in sessions with this like I've moved through the emotional charge before having conscious conversations like what else do I have to do and like what I really felt in this like moment this like 9 p.m. moment alone crying after so much meditation (laughs) in my room by myself was I just had this like profound feeling of how not special I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) And I'll explain what I I mean when I say this. I can tell Sonia's already like, (laughs) I I get it. I really could see in that moment this other maladaptive strategy for being loved in relationship um, of this like identity of what I'm now calling the special one. She's the one that wants to to always be like unique, to do things that are um, unusual. Like she's the one who um, is always like, you know, radiant and vibrant. Like she's the 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 sexuality luminary. She's the burlesque performer. She's the rebellious pole dancer, even though pole dancing is so mainstream <laughs> now, which is something that irked me for a long time because it really threatened my yeah. specialness. I knew that's what you would be thinking about. <laughs> and, and Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, no. It was Game of Thrones and Aubrey Marcus yeah, podcast. Yeah, and Aubrey Marcus podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, some inside jokes. Um... So, yeah, and so I felt, you know, I felt in that moment like, wow, you know, and I've had tastes of seeing this for Mm. many years, but I could see the clearest I ever had Mm. in my life, like this image of myself that, Mm. you know, is egoic, that I'd Mm. constructed, that has, that isn't inauthentic necessarily, right? This is... um, something that in my work with so many artists comes up again and again is as artists we create this Mm -hmm. self that has all of these ingredients Mm -hmm. of authenticity but still sits outside of ourselves Um, and it can be very confusing to to recognize that and to also recognize that there's this like more subtle self Mm. that sits behind that that is Mm. less shiny and less impressive and that's the one that ultimately wants to be seen and wants to be loved Um, And so I was able to really see that and see how much I had been coming from that Mm. aspect Mm. of myself Mm. in our relationship this year and how unloving it was for both of us, Mm. right? And, you know, yeah. So in that moment, I felt this like, oh, my heart is like, breaking why Mm. why will no man love me kind Mm. of feeling then wow I'm I'm actually just not special and I found so much peace in that it was hugely liberating and I don't mean like victimy I'm not special I don't mean I don't feel a sense of self-worth or self-love I mean that in the recognizing of how not special I am because mm. we're all not special and we're all special at the same time right yeah. I was like set free and then in like after that this other layer cracked open and I then was able to connect with the part of me that feels so unworthy of love mm. and I just sat there and just like felt it and just cried like mm. oh but these mm. really tender tears, right? Mm. These tears of like, yeah, sadness of mm, loneliness, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, relief too mm. to, you know, often when we connect with these pieces, they're like, finally, finally, <laughs> you're, you're with me. You can see me. So, yeah, yeah. that was my first big learning. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
actually, I when I think back, I I had a really big learning that I had, and I think this was maybe on the first day was just kind of thinking about my relationship to my body mm. and just feeling the sense of because I've heard so many times and I've always struggled with my weight when I was younger I was you know I reached obesity in my high school days it was crazy you know the amount of emotional eating that I would do mm. um, not knowing obviously unconsciously but a great way to self-soothe a great way to self-soothe mm-hmm. and I think just even the very first day of be, just being in that in that in that space I just I kind of was able to almost connect with that part that had built that that coping mechanism that strategy all those years and almost in that in remaining connected to that part almost it felt like the purpose of that part had been served so beautifully for so long mm. and how i think when we think about internal parts of us they're all serving a purpose and that's why they exist and this is why self-sabotage doesn't actually even exist it's just like a part of us that's coming up because it thinks that it's doing us a favor in that mm-hmm. moment it's helping us in some way so even the, the insight that i got was even from the even from the level of the cells in my body the hormonal uh, my hormones in my body, everything, the way that I di- digest food energetically was converting it into fat or sending it into fat for a particular reason. It was being directed into, into that for a reason because it thought that I needed that protection layer because the biggest, I would say when I look back, you know, to Vipassana, I think since this has been a week for you, there's going to be so much that just ends up unraveling. Mm-hmm. So we should come back in a year and do this again. Yes. Because there'll be, there'll just be <laughs> that much, you know? So for me, it was like, now that I look back, I can see that the biggest thing that happened was my heart cracked open in a way that I've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And now I'm living from my heart um, in in Hindi, there's a, a there's a term called dil. Dil means heart, and dil say is this is a very popular thing that we that we say. And to all my friends, whenever I'd be, I'd be like, I'm just doing things dil say. I just do everything from the heart now. There's mm-hmm. nothing, and, and there's no there's no. The biggest change I noticed was before I had these armors around my heart that mm-hmm. would need to protect me from pain, or from, for example, even the the fat protects you from you being yourself from you showing your whole self mm. because you need to somehow yeah you need to somehow protect and hide because someone could say something to you that could hurt you and so if you have the fat it, it is a layer between pain and between that person so I kind of had that moment goes going back to that first day where I went I don't I don't need to do that anymore I can be me it's okay to be me it's safe to be me and it's it's I can just be myself and then just like feeling my heart expanding and, and cracking open more and more with with each day and just going this is now I don't have armors that I that I have around my heart anymore the way that I have had to have for lifetimes mm. you know it's mm-hmm. like that's just and again um it comes it kind of came back down to one of the things with Vipassana that really stuck with me was this this learning of realizing how everything is cause and effect mm-hmm. and how it's you know we we all we all know that everything is temporary and you know nature is temporary and things are always shifting but to really know this is what Vipassana I could see it I could I could feel it that how the temporary nature of everything you know through the through the technique itself you're able to notice how each sensation in the body is is just temporary and it's going to pass. And so there's nothing, and in that temporary nature, there's nothing to be afraid of because whatever arises will always pass, mm-hmm. good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really resonate with both of those pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, firstly on the the armor around the Mm -hmm. heart when I came home and I was reunited with Mm -hmm. Chris Mm -hmm. was one of the most magical days of my life yeah (laughs) and 
before going to Vipassana, I said to him, you know, when we'd be sitting, holding space for each other, having brave conversations about our love, I was saying to him, I have all of these walls up around my heart because I don't trust, I don't trust. Mm. And I feel like I don't yet know how to love you without codependency and it scares Mm. me. I feel like, you know, and what had been happening that I couldn't see at the time that I can now see is where I was loving with all of this attachment because Mm. I didn't, you know, that felt like the safe thing outside Mm. of codependency Mm. was, okay, if I'm allowing you in this much then this is what I need Mm. back in return I I was really trying to find safety and transactionality and then what I was actually doing and what he was experiencing from me was me being controlling Mm. right and this isn't to say that he doesn't have his own work to do right mm. but that's not what we're here to talk about because we're here for self-responsibility let's invite him into that conversation eh? yeah <laughs> that's our plan yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we'll in a few months time yeah. do an episode together where we <laughs> really talk about yeah. that yeah but i had the same thing where i could feel those layers like melting mm. away through the week and mm. when i came home it was so beautiful to feel my heart was way open and what was so special to receive from my gorgeous man is he was fully open to me Mm. despite all of this unloving behavior that I had been you know having oh and I just was like wow Mm. what does it look like to really trust in that Mm. like um oh and it was just the most special special thing where I could just really feel like I just want to go so deep with him, Mm. right? And it came, it brought me back to conscious relating as my spiritual practice Mm. as, you know, like, wow, like the beauty of being in relationship Mm. with someone for a long period of time, Mm. right? I'm not going to define that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that's till death do us part. And I'm not saying that's the only valid Mm -hmm. path of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but I resonated with that and I really feel you on the everything is temporary <laughs> and no sensation is eternal as yeah. Goenka <laughs> says. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, oh, I would love to share. I'm curious, mm-hmm. um, if you experienced anything mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. realm for me where that really hit home was during a meditation where I was feeling a lot of pain the most pain yeah. I had felt during physical the 10 pain. days physical pain yeah whereabouts legs yeah yeah my legs were on fire mm. fire and I'm someone who I would describe myself as having a high pain yep. intolerance um And I also have a fair amount of experience being the observer, being the witness. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of meditation practice Mm -hmm. prior to this, like witness consciousness is a big part of, um, you know, what I studied in like the tantric lineage. Mm. Um, It's also something I've played with a lot in kink, you Mm. know, when experiencing pain and Mm. intense sensation but this was the yeah just the most profound experience of being the observer Mm. I've ever had where Mm. I was in agony for Mm. I'm gonna guess 20 plus minutes Mm. um and had made the decision not to move Mm. right to really Mm -hmm. sit Mm -hmm. with that pain and felt so clearly like detaching from it Mm. not in a disassociating Mm. way but in a wow I'm fully able to observe Mm. this Mm. just as the as the witness knowing that this isn't eternal Mm -hmm. and coming out of that meditation was one of my first big breakthroughs because this happened Mm. relatively Mm. early on in Mm. the piece and was one of the most empowering things Mm. I've ever felt in my life the ability to not react to something that was so intense where there was no distractions yeah where there's nothing else to focus on yeah Yeah. (sighs) oh 
Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. And that's precisely why I think, I think focusing on, in, I think Vipassana is amazing for so many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because for that time period, you're actually, that's what you're there to do. That's the work you're there to do. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I want to speak to the piece about um, the, the actual technique of Vipassana or the understanding because it actually comes from, I was doing some reading yesterday, coincidentally, synchronistically, mm-hmm. I landed on this piece from the guy who wrote Tantra Illuminated, mm-hmm. Christopher Wallace, I think his yes. name is. Beautiful. So he has done a lot of writing about um the sankaras in our body right or samskaras um there's a couple of ways you can say it but essentially samskaras are impressions that we leave in our body so basically from the perspective where any experience on a day-to-day basis that we have with anybody or by ourselves what happens is it it the experience arises so say i'm with you right now and you may say something to me and say you say something to me that that pushes a few buttons right what may come up in my body as you say that is an aversion to that experience which is a resistance to perhaps a question you're asking me that's making me uncomfortable now essentially when experiences happen freely they don't leave impressions in our body they just pass through us but when you if you say something to me without knowing obviously that that is going to trigger me in some way this is what triggers actually are the impressions that are pre pre pre-existing in our body that may leave an impression in my body and that impression is a samskara that leaves a seed inside of my consciousness now that seed once it's planted will only multiply over time so tomorrow if something else happens and someone else asks me a similar question i may feel triggered by that same thing again and this is why this is why triggers happen because at a very young age We don't have the capacity to process emotions. Mm -hmm. Not only, even if we had the best parents in the world who knew how to emotionally be attuned to us, we still don't have the faculties built inside of our consciousness to process. Mm -hmm. That only comes later in adulthood. So we're going to have a bunch of impressions from experiences as kids that that just left a mark inside of us, that left the samskara. And the other one is if an experience happens and it's absolutely amazing, we just want more of it and in in wanting more of it in that moment and not fully not just fully experiencing it and having that desire for oh this could end at any point oh i I wish this could go on we create we create a samskara in that moment as well so having any aversion or clinging on to anything any sensation creates those impressions Mm. and then those impressions just keep multiplying so that was one of the most profound things for me at the at vipassana where like you spoke about the knots that we have I was able to see the impressions that my body, the samskaras that were throughout my consciousness that had been gathering for me for lifetimes and seeing it as like the last life that I have lived, literally the samskara of like shame, of of just not feeling enough or feeling unworthy that is the one I multiplied and came into this lifetime with. Mm. And just like, I could just, I just like saw it and I was like, whoa. And seeing that, that you think, okay, it's just cause and effect because when you plant the seed, it has to bloom, right? So it blooms and that's the effect of the cause. Mm -hmm. So I was able to see how that is what brought me into my, this particular family, this particular, um, environment that that I that I had around me growing up and in that I developed a deeper sense of compassion you know I've been doing this work for a long time as well similar to you lots of therapy lots of coaching lots of stuff around your childhood Mm -hmm. but this was one of the first very very clear times where all I had left was compassion and appreciation for my childhood and my parents Mm. because I could see how it was just never their fault Mm. it's like we come into this world already with impressions, especially if it's an aversion from 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 our last time here. It, we're going to multiply. That's just how we come into this world. And that's why we attract the family that we attract. That's why we come into the situations that we come into. 
Mm. And then that just ends up growing. So from a young age, I didn't know how to deal with the shame, of course. So it just kept multiplying, 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 multiplying. And you go, oh, okay, great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is just cause and effect. There's nothing personal here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's nothing personal going on. This is just nature doing its thing. Mm. That's all we are. We are nature doing its thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's interesting that you brought up that piece around mm, compassion, gratitude to your parents. That was another big mm-hmm. thing that came mm-hmm. through for me as mm-hmm. well, in a perhaps in a different way. So Goenka said in one of the discourses, mm-hmm. he referenced the debt of gratitude to your parents. And mm-hmm. I'd never heard that phrase mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I now understand mm-hmm. very much comes from Indian culture mm-hmm. hey mm-hmm. I, I asked um, one of my sisters in silence after <laughs> we broke silence who yeah. was Indian and she she said yeah and very much this year I have gotten to a point after as you said unpacking my childhood going mm. through so doing so much work of really feeling nothing but love and gratitude mm. um, to my parents and hearing that statement, the debt of gratitude to your parents, mm. was a moment of really bringing that all together where, and kind of taking it to the next level for me, where I was able to see how I can give love without attachment to my family and for that not to feel like it comes from codependency Mm. um that's big yeah it was huge and i loved i just loved those words because very much in samoan culture Mm. our elders are revered respected they're the center of households Mm. to me Mm. in western culture and, and obviously i'm i am half European Mm -hmm. and I grew up very white Mm -hmm. out here in East Auckland, Mm -hmm. Aotearoa, New Zealand Mm -hmm. Um, but in Samoan culture um, there is this real like just the presence of your Mm -hmm. elders is a huge Mm -hmm. huge gift Mm -hmm. and my grandma is very much the matriarch of our family to Mm -hmm. bring her a cup of koko Samoa is like a gift you know Mm -hmm. to to serve her as a gift Mm -hmm. um and yeah it kind of brought me home into into that and being able to to yeah really just see as i said mm. you know that's that's how to love yes. now yes oh i would love to nerd out on something with you yeah <laughs> i'm so curious i've been dying to ask you your <laughs> thoughts about this. so Vipassana, as you outlined for us all, relates to desires Mm -hmm. as something that inevitably creates suffering, Mm -hmm. right? So if I remember accurately... Well, no, actually, not desire. Desire doesn't create suffering. The attachment to Exactly, desire. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you have the desire, <laughs> yes. which creates, which, yeah, I, I feel that this is a piece that he mm. could go into mm-hmm. more because speaking to everyone yes. after the course, there was yes. confusion about yes. this. Same, same. In, yeah. our, in our batch as well, yeah. Ah, okay. Mm. This, so I was mm. like, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. So you see, so what he outlines is you know you can't when you start to cling towards yep. a desire that yep. creates a yearning the yearning yep. creates yep. um suffering yeah and that made sense to me and i part of my lineage um is with mama gina author of pussy mm-hmm. and her teaching is very much desire is something that brings mm-hmm. a woman a pussy heifer mm-hmm. to life mm-hmm. you know desire as the most powerful compass mm-hmm. that you can have mm-hmm. and so when i sat with both of those offerings and just you know reflected on my life experiences i could see how both were true mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i knew that attachment detachment mm-hmm. was the key mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. and and that they kind of maybe suggest a different point of detachment so Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. my understanding of Vipassana is to detach 
earlier on in the piece um yes before you kind of fully feel yes. the longing yes um but the mama gina line is more like letting that desire kind of more come into your system be enlivened by yep. it yep. but then the detachment as i understand it happens like by knowing by surrendering by knowing that you can't control it Mm -hmm. and almost being willing to pay the price of the other side of the coin like Mm -hmm. you want to feel the fullness the um you know the yumminess the dopamine Mm -hmm. of those desires um and then knowing that you Mm -hmm. can you know that all emotions are sensations in the body Mm -hmm. and that you can move Mm -hmm. through it all Mm -hmm. so as i reflected on my life i was like i very much felt the misery of desiring yeah, something yeah, so so strongly yeah, yeah. and then um you know practicing knowing that i don't have control yep. um and then have felt so enlivened uplifted inspired by my desires too curious your, <laughs> curious, curious your thoughts <laughs> you know i was really excited that you were doing vipassana because i know that your work centers around teaching pleasure mm-hmm. and i was like really i didn't want to i just said nothing to you before you went because i was like i'm so curious to see what comes out of this because this is like what she teaches this is gonna be so good <laughs> it's very different yeah, yeah. it's like I, I think it might like like her mind just be like, be like what wait what <laughs> um so both of yeah both of what you're saying is again a question that I had at the very beginning as well that I've kind of been living into um to discover my own understanding of it where I feel it is for me is that okay so there is desire which is inevitable which is an inevitable part of living Mm-hmm. right of being human being is that we're going to have contrast contrast will create desire and this is the this is a process of expansion that the universe goes through so this is like gonna happen this is nature doing its thing to have desire is part of nature now as desire comes along i think the point is to it's almost like the place desire comes from if there's a if there's a fundamental shift within ourselves where we know that desire is part of the play that we're here to experience because we're here to experience we're playing a part here we get to experience this role like your role of Michelle Casey gets to experience travel and work and whatever you choose to do performing and within that there's desires because you get to express your character in all these various ways I think with that fundamental understanding of knowing that that's the part we're playing I think it brings with it like a non-attachment to begin with Mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay, I desire this. I want it so bad. Oh, I should really not be attaching to this because I don't think we have control over this. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's something we can consciously be like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to be attached to this. It's either you're attached or you're not. And even if you are, it's okay. But I think the natural progression of consciousness of any human being is that we get to a point or of the soul is to get to a point where even as desire arises, with it comes a form of no matter what happens, I'm okay. Yes. Because I am fundamentally okay. Because I am not this body. I am not this mind. This is just a part I'm playing with. This is just an experience I'm having. Who I am is much deeper than that. So with that in mind, I don't mind the way it plays out anymore. Mm. Yeah, I have the desire, but the desire ends up being more of a preference as opposed to like, uh, this has to happen. Mm. Because as soon as we know something has to happen, we know on the other side of it is a version of something else, Mm -hmm. which is what multiplies, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I would love for this to happen, but I, it's okay. Because I know that I'll be okay no matter what. I know that doesn't, it can play out in whatever way. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way it's been playing out in my life so far Mm -hmm. with both of those in mind. Yes. But also staying in like what you said, the aliveness of it. Like I know Mama Gina's work as well. And I, and I actually, I think, I think for women specifically, the reason that that's so potent is because that is the life force energy, Mm -hmm. right? I think what desire does for any human being is puts us into the position where we can really feel or like juiced up and excited in our body. And that ends up being, a really nice feeling but 
it's not one where while we're feeling it we're like oh i have to stay in this it's just i'm it's here right now yes awesome how can i milk this <laughs> for what it is you know like how can i utilize this how can i channel this but when it's not there it's not bad yes it's okay because we know that that juiced up feeling is temporary and so is the feeling when we're not feeling that feeling mhm yeah yes <laughs> You know, it was clear to me early on in Vipassana that this was a practice for my masculine. Mm. And I had a moment, maybe day three, where I went to the teacher and I said, the thing I am struggling with so much is that I am getting the best ideas of my life Yes, in this silence, in this stillness. And it feels so painful for me painful Mm. to my soul to not be expressing them Mm -hmm. to not be capturing them (laughs) and I explained that my artistry like my expression is something I have done so much work to reclaim and that and I asked like how can this be a practice that doesn't feel oppressive and he so simply said to me Michelle you will remember some ideas and you will forget others (laughs) <laughs> That's what I said. So good. And I was like, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is true. Thank you. It's <laughs> walked up. <laughs> what else can you say, right? That's so good. And all I needed in that moment was yeah. to be witnessed, right? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. needed to yeah. witness it so I yep. could move past yep. it and not yep. create a version. Yep. Um, Correct. Yeah. But when I think of integrating Vipassana into my life, mm-hmm. I'm the way I'm seeing this is it's a practice for my masculine mm-hmm. and there are other practices for me to, mm. to mm. be with my feminine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but really, really feeling how essential that non-reactivity to our ever changing yes. sensations yes. is the, the container it's the key. Yeah, for yeah. the feminine to flow. Yeah, exactly. And for those who aren't familiar with the, you know the terminology of the masculine and feminine you could substitute this for yin yang shiva shakti the masculine and feminine as being energetic poles that exist Mm -hmm. in all of us beings no matter where we are along the gender spectrum and i know it's very difficult to separate out um what we've learned about gender identity from Mm -hmm. this and so whenever i mention those i love to i love to just Mm -hmm name that because I know that yeah stuff can come Mm. up when we hear those terms Mm. Mm. absolutely (laughs) (laughs) I love the way you put that actually something that came to mind when you were speaking was I had a I had a very interesting time at Vipassana because I mean of where I was in life personally but also I had just come out of spending five weeks at a yoga ashram and doing a, um, a yoga teacher training, which was incredible. And what, what they taught us a lot about was the yogic way of living, the yogic philosophy. And I've never really immersed myself in the yogic philosophy in the way that I did while I was there, you know, living and breathing yoga, which is for people who don't know, yoga is not just asanas, it's not just the physical exercise that you do, yoga is a way of life, it's a way of living. And really yoga means union. Yoga means union with the body, mind, spirit. And for me, the conflicting part, or I guess the thing, the two things, like, you know, how you mentioned with the desire. And I was I was curious about your take because you teach about pleasure. And I wanted mm-hmm. to see what your outcome would be from this or what your understanding would be after doing Vipassana. Mine was very much about, we learn in yogic philosophy that there is a supreme consciousness called Brahman. And there is individual consciousness, soul, called Atman. And what I found really interesting was that while you're doing Vipassana, Goenka takes everything very seriously. Mm-hmm. He's very serious, <laughs> which is just the which is just the fun of it. It's intense. It's serious. It's um, yeah, intense. That is just the word. The whole experience is intense. And I find that in yogic philosophy, they always speak about how and they speak about this in Tantra as well, is how every experience is whole in and of itself. And I think what we do when it comes to fulfillment of desire of any kind, 
is that the older way of thinking or the older paradigm of thinking is I do X, Y, Z, and it'll lead me to this particular outcome. Mm -hmm. So I work hard during the week and then I celebrate on the weekends. I, you know, work hard throughout the year and then I take a holiday. I study this and then I graduate. So there's always this means to an end kind of pattern running, you know, in society. And that's just the way we've been conditioned. And that what that does is it, 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 it simplifies things for the mind, thinking that if I just do these things, then I'll be happy one day or then I'll feel this one day. And so we end up living not for the experience, but for the outcome of that experience mm. that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. And I find that, that that kind of way of thinking has is very inaccurate to what is I feel is going on, which is that everything, everything in its essence is so whole. And so what that means is that even in the in the desiring of something, say those moments where we feel that aliveness in our body and we're like in pleasure or whatever, that is a whole in itself. It's freaking beautiful. But then the moment where you're maybe taking a shower or taking a walk or you're having that dullness of the day or you're just doing something mundane like doing the dishes, that actually has the same amount of wholeness that you feeling pleasure actually does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same amount of wholeness to the just lying and reading a book or an article as it is to say doing something we really love to do yes yeah which mm-hmm. might be like spending time with the person that we love mm-hmm. it's they both hold the seed they, they both originate from the same space the thing that makes us believe that we're having a better time doing one thing than the other i feel is to do with our mind it's yes. our mind does not our mind and our consciousness it does not it feels still when we're doing the things that we like. It just kind of quietens. Like, And, you know, for the listeners, notice when you're spending time with people that you really like hanging out with. It's like, why do we like that? It's because our mind gets very quiet and we get very present. Mm-hmm. And it just, that that is our true nature. That's what feels best to us. And then when we're doing other things and like washing dishes or taking a shower, we're thinking of a thousand things in our head. It's It just doesn't feel as exciting because there's some potential aversion happening over there from the mind we're in resistance to reality in some way and that's what creates that sense of well I'm not sure like I'm into that because I really preferred being in pleasure I really prefer doing that thing that's what's that's what's going to give me more but a big fundamental shift that has taken place for me is noticing how there's more awareness being brought to everything that I'm doing whether it taking a long drive or taking a shower or talking to one person over another it's like everything is containing the same seeds of wholeness within it and one thing is no longer better than the other Mm. because it's actually fundamentally not Mm -hmm. each each part is so whole in its essence and so this has really helped me with my relationship to myself because those moments where I may feel like things are not going according to plan or I'm having a hard time with something or I'm facing challenging emotions I notice the wholeness present within that and so I go I'm feeling sad today I'm gonna be the saddest girl in the world Mm -hmm. I'm really gonna milk this I'm Mm -hmm. gonna be so sad because this is so beautiful wow you know this is this is this is what I get to experience right here right now so yeah that's something I wanted to mention as a um that's really uh, for me it has brought together my understanding of what I've understood through yogic philosophy, but more into practical means of day-to-day life as well with Vipassana. Mm. Yeah. Wow, powerful. Mm. <gasps> I have a nice way to start to close our yeah. podcast episode with a humorous story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on day, I'm going to say six, mm-hmm. it was the last meditation of the day mm-hmm. or the last like long meditation mm-hmm. of the day. And by day six, it's very quiet in the hall. So earlier on in the piece, there's a little bit more noise with people moving around. Mm. The breathing might be a little louder. Still very, very quiet. Mm. But um, by day six, there were moments where I would feel like wonder. And Mm. wow, this Mm. is the most incredible thing that there are approximately 100 people in Mm. this space and I cannot hear a Mm. thing for long periods of time. 
And so we were maybe 45 minutes into into this meditation session. And I hear these footsteps right outside the window to my right-hand side, like click, 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 click. And then I hear someone outside just rip the perfect fart. (laughs) That's good. And at the exact same time, me and the two women on either side of me just, like, stifled a breath. And at that point, I had not expressed myself for six whole days. Yes. And mistakes cannot be higher to not laugh yes, in these yes, situations. Yes, it would be deeply yes. disrespectful. Yes. And I have never, I have never more successfully held in a laugh that yeah. I had never, like, I had not, never wanted to laugh more than this in my life. So I was biting the inside of my mouth. <laughs> I could feel that it was close to bleeding, close to penetration. And so on the last day when we broke silence, me and these two other women just like ran for each other. Yeah. Like, I've been dying to yeah. talk to you about the fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this this fart thing must be very common among the amongst the fashion yeah. It's yeah, there's definitely. no safe place to do a sneaky yeah, fart. Where are you gonna do it? And I, I in mine I had people burping and farting, mm-hmm. and I was just like, it was so hard to not laugh. <laughs> it was so hard to not laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> Amazing, I love. So, Beautiful. on that note, I mm. wonder if you'd like to share with mm. the humans how they can connect with you if they'd like to, or if there's anything else you want to share about your work. Mm. Sure, why not? Um, you can freely connect with me via Instagram or via my website. Um, I and in a similar line of work to Michelle, my focus is on well-being of individuals. Um, I played around a lot with thinking about what I do, still find it hard to describe exactly what I do, mm-hmm. but what I have, the conclusions that I have come to is basically helping human beings set up the right conditions for them to uncover their true essence and really embody um, what their soul is here to do. In this lifetime a lot of the work is soul work but doing soul work through getting into intimately in touch with our shadows and our gifts and expressing those freely in this world as we as we stand today mm. so um yeah i would love to connect with anyone who's listening to even hear your thoughts about the episode it's always nice mm. to connect with the community and actually what i do want to also wrap up by saying is if you are thinking about doing Vipassana don't by any means take our experiences as something that you are going to get breakthroughs on in any way Mm -hmm. it's um and this is partly you know I was saying to Michelle earlier on before we recorded this a lot of people don't talk about their experiences because of this reason because they can set a certain bar of expectation of oh I'm gonna have this kind of breakthrough this is how it's gonna be for me so just going in there with an open mind and know that whatever your soul needs to learn based on your where your consciousness is at is what you need to know right now and that is what you're going to get out of it mm. and that's why each of us get out what exactly what our soul needs right here and right now for our progression so if you're thinking about it that's the only thing i would say is is go with an open mind attend all of the meditations and shower first thing in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be my bit of advice. <laughs> Which is the same thing I told you as well, I'm pretty sure. Did I, I actually, I showered in the evening. Oh, yeah. what a rebel. <laughs> my advice from my friend was, yeah, shower first thing when you wake up in the morning, even when you don't want to, because then you, I mean, it was good for me because I would fall asleep sometimes. So it was yeah. helpful. Um, and just do all the meditations. Just finish it. Yeah. That's all. Yes. Yeah. No matter what. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. 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 Beautifully said. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to awesome. do this with you, my mm. darling friend, my yeah. wise, wonderful, soulful, mm. super deep friend. <laughs> <laughs> I describe Sonia as my deepest friend. <laughs> Only gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it sure does. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Mwah. Namaste. <laughs>